Welcome to the Music Education Advocate Podcast. My name is Jazz Renee Sutton, and I am your host. Today, we've got a really great pair of advocates coming out of the great state of New Mexico. So let's welcome to the podcast, Amy Williams, president of the New Mexico Music Educators Association. Hi, Amy. Hello. And welcome Neil Swap, the executive director of the New Mexico Music Educators Association. Hey, Neil. Hello, everyone. Hey, so how's it going today, guys? It's great. How are you? Good, good. Neil, how's it going out there? It's good. We have a beautiful day here. Yay, that's always good to hear. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about New Mexico MEA and what's your role in the organization? Um, well, I, I am actually the president, uh, the current president of the MEA. I um, have previously served um, also as the in, in the district organizations and also as the state band VP. Um, and New Mexico MEA, New Mexico is a very small populated state um, and spread out with a lot of diverse and rural communities. And Neil is our executive director. I'll let him comment on his role. Um, as Amy said, we're, we're pretty diverse. We're pretty um, challenged as far as population goes. Um, our entire state has about 2 million people and we have about 550 um, members of our MEA. Um, like Amy, I served at the district level and then I served eight years as in a state office before I came executive director about five years ago. Um, one conference before COVID, that's always the way I remember. So I've, I've put on one face-to-face -face conference um, and then we had to cancel too. So um, New Mexico music is, is thriving, although we did see a dip in enrollment and achievement during COVID. So we're kind of trying to figure out how to, to dig out of that. Yeah, so let's talk about kind of the figuring out how to dig out of that, because that's actually kind of how I found out about you two um, as leaders and advocates for the state of New Mexico. Um, you guys focused on community building, Tell me about that. Like, why community building as a form to do your advocacy work? Um, well, you know, COVID, COVID hit us pretty hard in New Mexico, the restrictions on playing and singing. Um, and COVID sort of exemplified some of the weaknesses in our organization, in our state. And um, when COVID happened and we were under some really severe restrictions, our teachers banded together and they leaned on each other and they leaned into each other, right? Um, and then as we've all sort of returned to our classrooms, we want to make sure that we continue that. Um, and we've seen, as Neil said, a little bit of a dip in numbers in our programs, as I'm sure a lot of folks across the nation has seen. Um, but not only that, but we've seen a little bit of a dip in participation from our educators and really wanting to be involved. Teachers are overwhelmed. Um, and so we as an MEA kind of decided that we needed to really get back to the roots of just building relationships with one another and and the good of coming out of the community, um, working together, the good that, that 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 happened during COVID and continuing that good, even as we go back um, into a more normal state. Um, as Amy said, you know, our MEA leaned into COVID. Obviously there were so many negative things about the entire situation, but from our earliest conversations, we decided to focus on the good and figure out what those good pieces were and bring them into our post-COVID world. We even did that before we even knew what COVID was. Um, I have the advantage, and, and Amy too, we're very recently out of the classroom. So I think we really remember what it's like to, you know, to stand in front of an ensemble or yeah. be in a general music classroom. 
And I think sometimes the longer you're out of that situation, you forget how inundated with everything you are. And teachers just quite frankly, are overwhelmed even before COVID, you know, whether it's taking role or putting on a concert or keeping the kids in their seat or whatever it is, there's just so much going on that I think when we talk about advocacy at the very global and, you know, the, the legislative level, I think many teachers just shut down because they're like, you know what, I don't understand it. I don't have time to get involved with it. So I'm just not going to do anything. Uh, and that was me. Um, and so we decided to take a much different approach and give our teachers steps they could take in their classroom that would hopefully have an impact, not only in their classroom, but at their school community, within their community, and eventually at the state level. And I think that's why we've seen an increase in engagement in our membership, is we've challenged them with things they can accomplish, very, very small things. I mean, inviting a principal to a concert, you, you can do that, that's a simple email. You know, dropping your sec, you know, the school secretary off a gift card, a Starbucks card. That's something that's so doable, but it spreads. Um, you know, we look at our MEA just like a music classroom. It's all built on relationships, and yes. we forget that. And so, the stronger your relationships are within your MEA, the bigger footprint you're going to have. Yeah, and the stronger those relationships are within any community, right? Like. The reason why we are in this space is because we want to care for each other. So I can only imagine as, you know, as the educator who has all of these things, the last thing you want is another list to do, right? So when you find something that shows care, it's a lot easier to do because you're passionate about that work. So that's awesome. I totally agree to that. Strong relationships build strong communities. Um, so let's talk about some of those strategies that you use to create these communities among the teachers. You said, uh, dropping off the Starbucks gift card. <laughs> That's, I, I will tell you as an, a, a former educator, when kids would bring me those Starbucks gift cards, it was like gold. Uh, so what are some other, <laughs> some other strategies that teachers could use to kind of help build that community outside of the classroom? So in any time that we address our MEA, whether it's in a meeting or through an, ad, an address or district meetings, whatever, we always mention how we are all a bigger community. You have a small community, your school site, and then that trickles out into the surrounding neighborhood community and that the local community and that trickles out to the state community. And then that even goes up to our national community. Um, And we always remind our members of that. Um, One thing that we've done in New Mexico and have made a really valiant effort is to really recognize how we communicate with our members. Um, There has been a little bit of a disconnect. Like there was the state organization. It was like this grand poopa who did all the things um, <laughs> and didn't really con- necessarily always connect down to the classroom teacher unless you were serving in that state organization directly as an officer. And so we've made a really big effort on making sure we communicate succinctly and often, but not too often, um, right. that we're also taking um, care of the age of our members. Our younger teachers seem to like tiny little chunks of information through social media and our more seasoned teachers teachers um, still go back to like the email days where I need an email um, and a formal, more formal way of communicating. So we're trying to balance that out and also just providing opportunities of service that are in smaller chunks. So really highlighting that you can serve, but it doesn't mean holding this 
title that you can serve by just showing up to your MP MPA and moving some chairs um, or serving by just going to your colleague's classroom and listening to their performance and giving them some feedback. So just reminding them of some of the little steps. And so one of the things we've done, um, Neil sort of alluded to it, is that we've tried to have more of a presence on social media and Neil and I are more of those seasoned people. So um, <laughs> we're not the super savvy <laughs> with the new hip technology, but um, we've had tried to have more of a presence, but more of a practical presence as well in hopes that we can sort of encompass all of our diverse um, experiences in the classroom. And so one of the things that um, we've done is we've, we've done a weekly advocacy challenge. Some of those things like the Starbucks gift card, um, invite some non-music um, people into your classroom for lunch just to hang out or have some friends bring a, a non-band or orchestra, choir, guitar member come to the room to hang out just for a day. That's like a privilege, right? And see if you can just sort of make some connections outside your classroom. Um, inviting that administrator to the concert, um, speaking to your custodian, just giving him a gift card or a really, a, hey, great, thanks for coming to clean my classroom. Just making those relationships across um, in the local area where they are. And then the other thing we've done is on a week, once a week, um, Neil's really great about posting a, a, like a inspirational quote about music, just a reminder, like, Hey, this is why we do this. Um, and then we've also tried to highlight programs that are going on in the state as well on social media. And those, just those three things are huge steps forward for our organization. Um, our social media was sort of a hit or miss. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. and I was going to add, we were talking the other, well, we, me and another advocate, we're talking the other day about uh, relational capital, where we are building relationships with people that we can leverage and utilize. And what you were talking about, inviting the non-band or orchestra student to your classroom. I can't tell you how many kids joined my friend's class because he would let their, bring a friend in. Um, because the kids were able to come in low stress environment, see what was happening, enjoy the space, learn in the space and say, you know what, I want to be a part of this, right? Um, talking with the custodian. If you are in a high school ensemble, you know, you got to get all the keys from the custodian. And, and they are the people who, who kind of run the building because they literally have the keys to everything, so yeah, I, I love that idea about that weekly advocacy ch um, challenge. So can I go back real quick? And uh, can you tell me a little bit more about um, what was the idea behind serving in smaller chunks, like getting involvement without like this big leadership role um, and structure of you got to do A, B, and C in order to be a leader. Can you share more about that? Sure. So I think one of the things that we recognized and saw early on, and not just COVID related, but over the last few years, is that some of our community was, was not willing to serve in those big vice president's roles. And we realized it was because that was so encompassing that they didn't feel like they could give up that amount of time or energy to that, which we respect, especially with our teachers who have younger families. And they would always say, we, we, we wanna serve, but maybe when our kids graduate from high school. But by then they're, they're getting ready to retire. So we're missing this entire service piece. So we realized we needed to make those positions more manageable. Yeah. And so we've started pulling pieces out of those and getting other people to fill those pieces so that then the vice president or those leadership roles become more of a of an oversight 
role rather than the you know the, the person that's doing the heavy lifting. And that can go all the way down from your state positions all the way down to to running a, a, a music performance assessment or something. Not every, not one person needs to do all of it. Somebody can be in charge of meals. Somebody can be in charge of transportation of the judges. Uh, you know, somebody can be in charge of scheduling so that one person isn't holding all of that. So I think that's made people more apt to help. It also gives more information to more people, which I always think is very good because when too few people hold the information, um, a couple things happen. It becomes perceived as an ivory tower or a good old boy club. Yep. And also when that person decides to back out, then they hold so many pieces and no one else knows how to fill those pieces. Yes. Um, when I took over as executive director, um, our former executive director was, was just a, a wonderful man and human being and ran a really great organization. But I realized that I didn't want to hold all of those pieces myself. I mean, even things like I didn't want to be the only person holding all of the passwords because what if something happened to me and I couldn't communicate those passwords? You know, the entire organization would be locked out of, of everything. So I set up a, a password keeper and I gave a couple of people my master password just so that other people could access that information. And, you know, the stars align and Amy was kind of coming on as, as president during that time. And I've known Amy for basically my entire career. And so I've offloaded a lot of my responsibilities onto Amy, which has made me feel better about my position yeah. and just a little bit less overwhelmed. So I think we need to look at leadership different in today's world because people are different in today's world. I think, you know, I'm like Amy said, I'm a seasoned teacher. So I grew up in that time when we gave life and limb to our career and our younger teachers are trying to strike maybe a little healthier balance. And so they don't want to work from, you know, six in the morning to midnight. And so if we can break it down so they don't have to, I think, I think it's better for them. I think it's better for their mental health and it's definitely better for our organizations. Agreed. I love the striking a healthier balance by distri distributing that work, but also that engagement and you're building community in it. Like what you were saying about um, the more people that are a part of this, the more people that um, have, you know, the communication and they're receiving that communication. It's also transparency and buy-in. I love it. I love it. So obviously I was going to ask this question, like, what have you noticed? How has this approach to community building and, and sharing this work and trying to strike a healthy balance? How has that affected the work that you're doing in your organization and its members? I, I think for me, the biggest difference I see is I'm approached by more people with ideas or even issues than I ever have before. Even younger members who are brand new teachers. In the old days, those younger teachers would never dream of contacting this office. But now I think because they're more involved in the organization and they see the transparency and we're building those relationships, they feel much more comfortable coming to me for either advice or pointing out something that we've overlooked, which again, just makes us a stronger organization. And I also think that we've seen a greater connection with some of our more rural and smaller communities um, into the more metropolitan areas. Those teachers are starting to, to link up together a little bit. Um, 
And I know I am hopeful and optimistic that we're going to see more of that as we move into our conference in January. Um, actually, tomorrow night, we're hosting our first um, town hall where we're actually having all of the statewide leadership from all the districts come together and meet with the state leadership for some vertical articulation. Everything we've done up, you know, has always been through some email or, you know, sign up for this, sign up for that. But we're actually going to have a conversation about things like advocacy, about participation, about recruitment and retention and um, things going on in the districts, talking with the state VPs. So I think that's a really good move forward. And I'm super optimistic about where the organization is headed. And, you know, Jasmine, that's one of the things that we learned in the pandemic. Because before the pandemic, we, I mean, we knew what Zoom was, but none of us were on Zoom. And then we lived on Zoom. And so we've tried to take that Zoom piece now and have statewide meetings. Our yeah. board of directors meets four times as many times as they used to for much shorter meetings. We meet with district presidents once a month when we used to meet with them twice a year. Um, so it's just that much bigger tie-in and buy-in to the, to the organization. And again, that's one of the positives of the pandemic is because now none of us are afraid of Zoom anymore. <laughs> none of us are afraid of Zoom anymore. I remember uh, pre-pandemic uh, when I was volunteering as a state leader we would get on the phone once a month and we would dial into the national office and then everyone would say, you know, where they're from and what the weather was like. <laughs> and now we can actually see each other's faces. And so that when I do get to meet you in person, I'm like, oh, I know what you look like and not just what you sound like. So, um, and I've heard a lot of different people utilizing the Zoom space to, to bridge that divide of location and distance, so. And it's and I, just, it's a better way to communicate. You can read facial expressions. Yes. Um, Amy and I Zoom, I would say an average of at least once a day. Yeah, um, how far are you? Of comment. What's that? How far are you uh, um, from we're, each other? We're about five hours apart. Yeah. <gasps> wow. Yeah. So how wide is the state of New Mexico? Like for, like if you were driving, like driving distance? Yeah. So side to side would probably be six eight or ten hours, maybe eight, six or eight hours. Top to but, bottom would be a little bit longer. Yeah, it's top to bottom is probably eight to ten, north to south. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Back east, you could cross three or four states. Exactly. In North Carolina, yeah. from east to west, it's about an eight eight hour drive, depending on where you are in the state, north to south. It could be four to five, maybe six. Wow. Um, but I did not realize how vast New Mexico was. I mean, that's a and large. Also, you can drive three or four hours and never get to another community. Correct. Wow. I mean, it's very, very sparse. Yeah. So I this would be very helpful that you guys are using Zoom to communicate and share. Okay, and I see, fact, I see. One of the, the pandemic, and that was before Amy was president, our former uh, president, Jennifer Rogers, we started doing monthly town halls. And we, yeah. we didn't always have an agenda. Sometimes it was just, and this was pandemic when everybody was so isolated. They would just log in and sometimes we would just chat because they needed to see people. Because if you're living in a community of 120 people and you were three hours away from anybody, you weren't seeing people and you certainly weren't seeing and talking to other music educators. So yeah. um, that was, I think, our, in many ways, our saving grace. 
Yeah. Oh, so I have a question and it in regards to that feeling of isolation, right? If you are a teacher in New Mexico, a music teacher, and it takes you who knows how long to get to the next community, what would you as advocates and leaders suggest to them and, and getting connected to this, this, this network called New Mexico Music Educators? I would say the first step is if there are other music teachers in your community um, to first get together with them, because mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that just, they just stay in their own classroom. They don't even talk to their, their colleague. Um, I would say that's step one, like yeah. create relationships with your colleague. Um, step two would be um, attend some of the town halls that we have to offer. Um, attend your district meetings. Some people have to drive an hour, hour and a half to get to a district meeting, um, but make an effort to go to the district meeting or log into the district meeting so that you can really see people, um, mm -hmm. people, and then volunteer, even if it's for a tiny little job or service, um, volunteer to do something at your district event. That would be the first thing is just to get plugged in, just to meet people. I, I haven't met one person um, being in a leadership position and I've got it, which has been, that's been the coolest thing is I've got to meet all these people across the state. Um, I've not run into one person that's not been kind or warm or wanting to connect with me or willing to talk to me. Not one. Um, it, it, you know, we all have our own personality types. Some of us are way more introverted than others. Um, but I think just that first step of just saying hi and and stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit. That, that would be my advice. Um, and I would also throw in two things. One is I would challenge our, our older membership to lean in. Um, mm. When I go to the conference, I'm so excited to see my friends that I've known for 20 or so years. And so of course we band together, we sit together, we talk. And some, even at our meetings, sometimes, you know, Amy and I will say, you know what, let's split up and let's go meet some new people. Yeah. Um, and we go and meet that brand new teacher that, that doesn't know our name and or probably knows our name, but we certainly don't know theirs. Um, <laughs> so I put part of the responsibility on our, our older membership to lean into our new membership. And then the other thing I, I want to share is during the Allstate auditions, which we just finished, we had one teacher who had one student that was auditioning. And he didn't really know what was going on. And the, the kid actually reached out to me and said, I've been learning the music. I want to audition. And when I found out she attended a school with a music teacher, I said, well, your music teacher needs to do this. Have him contact me. And it was a music teacher I had never met. And so he had a lot of questions. So I said, well, let's jump on Zoom. And so we met on Zoom. And I, I walked him through the whole process. And that very day, he joined NAFME. Hey. And signed up to come to the state conference. And that would have never happened if I wouldn't have leaned in. Uh, and, you know, and every kid is important, but you know, we had this school with one kid auditioning, and then we have schools with you know 80 kids auditioning. Right. But right. it's just as important to lean into that one as it is to the 80. Because now he's, I have no doubt he's a lifelong member and will be a contributor to our organization. So I think that's what we need to remember is just the the power we have as leaders when we reach out mm -hmm. to people. Yeah. And kudos to that student for finding you and reaching out and like, I want to give that person a high five too. Wow. I would have been terrified 
<laughs> to reach out to anybody um, as a high school student, but wow, impressive. Well done. Um, you and- know, we say, I'm sorry, but you know, we say, we say that to our kids, like everybody matters and we want everybody to be involved. Well, as leaders, we need to walk the walk. Like we need yes. to, we need to, yes. like do, we need to do the same thing. Everybody matters. Yes. Yes. And like you said, walk the walk. Yeah. Are, go, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Something that Amy and I've talked a lot about is with any state, we have the programs that are very strong, very solid, and, and are known by everybody. The kids are playing great. They put a lot of kids in all state. We Every state has those schools. And what Amy and I've talked about is those schools are going to be fine. What about the others? Yes. that are just barely hanging on even before the pandemic. Those are the ones we need to be helping yes. because yes. they could go away. Um, yes. And, you know, I think we all suffer from the big name syndrome, but <laughs> let's, let's get away from that and let's start, let's start focusing on some small name syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who wants to stay in a community that overlooks you? Exactly. You, right? Yes. Right. Um, and I would also say, like you said, Neil, those are the schools that would need the larger community support because when something does go awry and then they have to fight for their program, how are they going to fight for their program when they're by themselves? Right. Um, so I'm all for when I go to a conference, I, if I meet a new person, I try to do one thing, which is to get their email. And then right there, I will write an email that says connecting and I'll say, hi, my name is Jocelyn A. We connected at such and such place. This is the connecting email. You now have it and send. And that way I know that I've made that connection and I'll make a mental note that it's in my mailbox. I'll go back three weeks, two weeks, depending on whatever. And I'll say, Hey, just checking in. Cause if we don't do it right, then we're going to forget it. Yep. We're going to forget it. Um, so yes, I totally agree with the, our, our more seasoned members, the ones that have been around the organization, it's our responsibility to make sure that we're bringing in the new people to keep this thing called an organization rolling. Um, so yeah. Uh, so what do you hope your members are going to take away from you as leaders focusing on community building and not focusing on like all the other things that you could focus on? I think for me, I would love for them to do the same in their own classrooms and community. Um, We lose students from our programs regularly. And I would say the vast majority of those kids choose to leave because they don't feel a connection with that community. Maybe they're not the blessed player or singer and and they don't get all the attention and they're not feeling terribly connected. So they choose a different path. And that that to me is heartbreaking because I think music is for everybody. Um, So I think that would be one thing. If that teacher will also build those relationships within their own school building, they will find it's easier to have kids excused from class. They will see that their budgets increase they will see that graduation requirements may be in their favor. All of those things are really based upon relationships. And then if we continue that into your community and into your state, um, it's really hard to cut a program when you have a personal relationship 
with that teacher and those kids. Yeah. And, yeah. and I would piggyback on that and, and even speak to that is also my hope for educators when we lose educators to burnout or lose educators who are like, I just can't do it anymore. I'm overwhelmed. Connect connect so you have a support group so that you can keep those programs thriving and that you can keep yourself thriving and remember why we did this we did this because we love teaching students we love kids and we love music and remember and trying to remind people of that was the passion that started it and don't forget that um and the day-to-day nuts and the that's and bolts and the grind can yes be overwhelming but find people to have a support because teaching can be kind of isolating um for sure and music teachers can feel isolated because sometimes it's one person on a campus, you know, um, they're like Mr. Music for the whole community. So it can be isolating. <laughs> so Mr. or Mrs. Um, but, you know, we just, just reach out and have a support group. To piggyback on Amy, Amy and I were talking earlier. We, we piggyback a lot on each other. We heard this week of a teacher that's probably leaving a semester. Um, just because she's decided that teaching isn't for her and, okay. and she's somebody that's been teaching a long time. So it's all the classic examples of, of just burnout. Um, she didn't reach out to anybody, but the point I want to make is, of course, she didn't reach out to anybody. She's burning out. Somebody should have been reaching in to her yes. when they saw her becoming more disengaged. And I wonder if they would have reached out, whoever they is, and made her feel more a part of a community, she might not be in this position. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky throughout my entire career to share, because I always taught high school and I, I taught my entire career, I only spent at two high schools basically. Um, and, but at both schools, I had other music teachers that was my support. We ate lunch together every single day. Yeah. So when I felt down or they felt down or I was ready to throw in the towel, they were my biggest cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. And so, but we just remember not everybody has that, especially at the middle school and even more so at the elementary school. Somebody needs to be leaning into those teachers. And I, I would hope that your members take heed to what you're saying and, and continue to do that work of caring for each other because it really does make a difference. It changes a life. And then that stuff, then that, those relationships trickle out, they trickle yes. out into the community. And then you, people start to see the value of kids being in these programs. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say, I want to make sure that we're clear. And I I'm sure Neil, we share our brains. I'm sure Neil feels the same way, but it's not to dismiss <laughs> the excellence part. Yes. The teaching, right. I mean, yes. there's still there's, they go together. Right. Mm-hmm. I care for my students. I'm building relationships with my community because I want the best for you and the best for us is our program. And um, and those things start to trickle out. And and that's the advocacy work. If we can get that to happen in our little communities, just bit by bit by bit, then all of a sudden we're gonna have a mountain of support across the state. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and as Amy said, and I'm the, always the one that says your best advocacy piece is to have a great ensemble. Yes. <laughs> the better your ensemble is, that's your that's your ace in the hole. So yeah, I mean, excellence is 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 primo. Also, you know, as we build these relationships in our classroom, those ensembles or those general music classes are going to enjoy making music better together because it's with their friends. I mean, I've been ensembles, you know, professional ensembles where maybe I didn't like the people I was playing with, and it's yeah. still fun. 
but not really. Yeah. You know, you're playing with your best friends and it's it's a blast. There's nothing better. So you build those communities with your classroom and you know. And they can make music somewhere else. Yes. Yes. But I I think we underestimate how often students and children don't necessarily have to be in our space. We want them to be, but they can make music anywhere else outside of our classroom. And I think if we are not in tune to what they want and need in that space for community, they'll go make music, you know, in their in their homes, in their garages, in their community centers. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please know well, I am right. an advocate for outside music making, but you know, I, they I, don't I, have to come back. Yes. I, I was judging a couple of weeks ago and I, I was judging with a guy I've known forever and it was his daughter's birthday that night. And he said his daughter had invited a bunch of kids over and they were playing their instrument in the in, instruments in the garage. <laughs> and it was kind of driving the mom crazy. But I thought, how wonderful that they're doing it as an activity on their own because it's yes. fun. Yes. I mean, what, yeah. That classroom built that environment that, mm -hmm. that can foster somewhere else. Yeah. And I think that being able to create that community um, and foster that community that's already happening in that, that music classroom space is, is the key to success and longevity to what we do. Yeah. As somebody who does advocacy at the federal level, what would you like to ask me? You know, and the, I'll, I'll ask. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I have a feeling that I feel the same as some of our members. Um, and I alluded it to it earlier. When I talk about or listen to advocacy at the national level, I immediately become overwhelmed because yeah. it's HB whatever, it's this, that, and the other, it's title <laughs> this. And it's, it, there's a point, it's just like, okay, there's too much. Yeah. I can't comprehend all of this in a, in a bite. So I'm just going to shut down. Mm -hmm. um, how does one overcome that, just that overwhelmness? You know, and I'm a regular caller of my congressman, as Amy will tell you. <laughs> but um, it's just, it's so difficult um, to, 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 I guess, to be educated enough to be able to speak intelligently about it is how I, I worry that I, I don't grasp enough. Yeah, that's a great question, especially as an educator in the classroom every day who doesn't do federal policy, right? Um, so I started out as a music educator. Um, and I kind of sort of got pulled into federal advocacy work through my state music education association. Uh, they would send out these kind of snippets and blurbs about what was happening at the federal level. And I was like, I don't really know what that means, but okay. Um, I taught in an elementary school that was a title one school. I went to my treasurer and I was like, so what is Title I? I know it has to do with money. What, what do we do with it? And she explained to me how it works for our school and our school district. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, uh, let me go and think how I can ask for money <laughs> because that's kind of how I got into it. It was like, I needed money. I know my school gets Title I money, so why can't I get it? And then I started going to informational sessions that my music education um, association was putting on and I started asking more questions I was like so how does that work and then I realized that the federal government 
has an education budget. I was like, oh, okay. I, I kind of understand what a budget is. And then certain, a certain amount goes to Title I funding. And we can advocate for that. We can ask for more of that money. Wait, as educators, I can ask for more of that money? Hold on, wait a second. How do I, how do I start advocating for that? And then, so through this process of just asking questions and being curious, I was able to be connected with people who knew more about it than I did. And yeah, so I just started asking the questions, which was Title I, um, because I knew that that had a direct impact to what my students were doing and learning. And I just went to the person who I, I felt comfortable with and who I knew kind of had a connection because it was money. And she was kind enough to, you know, kind of walk me through what it looked like at the district level. And then I said, well, where does it come from before it gets here? And, you know, kind of went up the ladder slowly, but surely. So that's kind of how I did it. But if anybody has any questions about federal funding, now it's my job, um, <laughs> my everyday job. They can always send me an email and I'll gladly break it down to them and help them understand, you know, how does federal legislation, federal funding impact you? And it does. It does in a, a variety of ways. Um, it just depends on what it is, right? And, and how do we make sure that we promote legislation that positively impacts music education? Great you question. Know, I will, Peggy, I'll, I'll make a comment on that, gentlemen. As, as I've been involved in leadership in, in the state, I know we used to go to Hill Day and it was so incredibly uh, intimidating to me, but I realized early on that our congressmen really work for us. So when we approach them with these, these asks or these, these ideas, it's their job to listen to us. Um, so I think if we're not contacting them, we're not doing our job. Yeah. Because they need that feedback, even if they're on the other side of the aisle, that doesn't matter. They yes. need the feedback from us. That's our job to give them the feedback. And then it's their job to go through that and sift through it and, and follow it or not. But um, without the feedback from us, we have no leg to stand on. Yeah. We can't complain. I always tell people, if you don't vote, you can't complain. Don't vote, you can't they complain. Know. They only know what they know. Exactly. That information. Right. Yes. And sharing my students' voices, right? Though their stories, because they had the autonomy to speak for themselves, even at like an elementary level, they had the autonomy to be able to say, I know what I need. I know what I want to do in music. So how do I get there? And they would say, Miss Sutton, we need A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z. And, and I, I would ask, well, why do you need that? And they would say, because it helps us do blah, blah, blah. It helps us participate in music. And I was like, okay, can I write that down and share that with someone who has the power to make these decisions? They would say, yeah. Um, and that became a practice in my classroom for them to be able to articulate what they needed. And it didn't have to always be a legislator. It could be the principal. It could be our PTA um, it, it did not have to always be a legislator. It was somebody that they felt comfortable talking to. But yes, Neil, um, the Hill Day experience. Well, so we would take leaders from around the nation. We would all go to Capitol Hill. I was a part of that as well. And I was nervous. <laughs> I'm always like, I have my sheet. I know what I'm supposed to say, but are they really going to listen? 
Well, I just want to thank you guys for the voter voice because that was huge in our state. I think, I think it's less of an intimidation factor and also they can be thoughtful in their responses and, and then we can actually send more voice, you know, to the Hill um, with some personal stories. Um, and then it wasn't Neil or I trying to collect all of the stories and presenting mm-hmm. them. They could just come directly from them. And um, that was huge. That was huge. And it was super easy. I don't know if it was easy on your end. It was super easy <laughs> to send it out and tell them like, this is your time. This is our opportunity. Um, take a minute, click here, fill this out. That's it. Do it outside your duty day. Uh, make sure it comes from your personal, personal email. And um, we were really, really pleased. And hopefully that number will continue to grow too. Mm-hmm. Um, with participation. But i um, super pleased with the turnout for that. So for those of you that are listening, um, Voter Voice is a platform that we have at the National Association and where it's almost like an email campaign of sorts and where you have kind of this uh, template that's already formulated letter to your legislator. You just type in your name, your email address um, and your mailing address and it matches you directly to your federal legislator or depending on the campaign, it could be your state legislator. and it just gets your message across. You can also add your own personal story, which I think is fantastic. And it's super easy, super quick. I do it whenever we have one because, I mean, it takes less than five minutes of your time. If you want to just click and send, you can. Or if you want to share the importance um, of music education, specifically with those offices, uh, in a low pressure kind of way. Uh, it's a fantastic way to be involved in advocacy and to get that message directly to your elected officials uh, without having to go look for their email addresses or to find that secret phone number or however uh, that information may be on their website. Uh, so yeah, I love Verta Voice and congratulations again to the great state of New Mexico for you guys. Um, because you sent out what, I think it was almost like four times the number of messages for our virtual Hill week, um, Mm -hmm. and, and sharing the importance of music education on the Capitol and, and, and leaving an amazing footprint for the great state of New Mexico, a hundred and I think it was like four or five messages were sent. So that's a pretty big number compared to, I think it was maybe 30 was the next state. Um, it's a pretty good percentage, um, you know, considering the number of educators we have in our state. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and considering how vast your state is, um, that was, I I think a definite nod toward the work that you all have been doing for community building. Well done. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I cannot wait to see what other awesome things are coming out of New Mexico. Don't hesitate to send me an email. Give me a call. Let me know because I want to celebrate it as much as possible um, because you guys are doing some awesome things. So with that, I guess I'll say thank you. Thank you for all that you guys do. We appreciate it. All right. Awesome. So everybody, I hope you all continue to make music and let's see where we go from here. Bye.